You are listening to the Thundercling Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> Just rippling abs. How are we going to get fucking sponsored by these guys if we can't even get the name right? Did you say you're doing wrestling moves? Oh god, I'm bleeding. Jason Kale's walking around on stilts. It's fucked up. I'm looking for a drummer who is doing normal. Hi, my name is Feedy. And my name is Dave. And you're listening to the Thunder, Thunder Cling Podcast. Cling Podcast. Dave, you never have to, you've never told me what a Thunder Cling was. At the first or second episode I asked you, and you're like, you'll learn in time, young one. Have you I st- not really? You've never told me. Wow, we didn't talk about talking about this, but I would do you this will just take a second. Yes, I'm sure our listeners have been furious at you too. So they're on my side. Oh, they're okay. Everybody fucking take it easy because here it comes. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> we were in the valley climbing in Yosemite and we had a couple friends come out from San Francisco. So we went up to, to Tuolumne wow. to Boulder. Okay. And my buddy Dave brought wow. his friend. Like your name. I don't know what his name is, but it was this bespectacled like little stout fucking fire hydrant of a guy. Yeah. Real excitable. Also extremely stoned, mm-hmm. but still excitable, yeah. which is a odd combination and when he would climb dude he was quite a strong boulder as well he would fucking like that torque yes massive torque he would lurch out and grab holes and we'd all be like holy shit if this guy falls literally there's gonna be like a fucking mushroom cloud yeah and each hole he went to he'd go to it with such exuberance and Mm -hmm. like shock and I was like, that dude is fucking thunder clinging his Whoa. way. And then that same day, we were up at the, I think they're called the Ridgeway Boulders in Tuolumne, and a lightning storm rolled in. And I was carrying a gigantic aluminum fucking stick brush. Yeah. And it was bad, man. We were way up there. Lightning was yeah. crashing everywhere. We had to like get out of there as quickly as possible. I threw my stick clip under one of the boulders or stick brush. I'm like, let's go, let's yeah, go. Seriously. And so that's part of how the thunder clean came as well. Cause there's thunder okay. everywhere. And then two days later, I broke my leg on midnight lightning. Oh my God. I took the fucking cliche bouldering fall and broke my leg and camp Four. our first day in camp Four. we'd been there for like three and a half weeks. Dude, what if every time you wanted to be, if anyone wanted to be a boulder, they had to take that fall and break their leg. Like well, a rite of passage. You know what the crazy thing about that fall was too? What? The, there was a guy that we met there. His name was Dave, and he was bespectacled and, and he was bald. Whoa. Like and you. I I it, I'd only I was like, this thing's gonna go down no problem. I've been on it for like 20 minutes. I felt good. And fucking Dave, this other evil twin yeah, Dave. Evilton. If you're listening, evil Dave. I know who you are. Well, and I fell where you fall. Mm-hmm. And he moved the pad <laughs> from He's where like, I said it. Only be one day. <laughs> I landed exactly where he'd moved the pad from in that complex, like roots okay. and stones right below. And I broke my leg. And that's where Thunderclean comes from. Holy that shit! Trip. Honestly, I'm so glad I asked because I have been I have been wondering. That's it. And uh, I like I like that term a lot now. 
Thunderkling. Yeah, I I I want to be a Thundercling. That's the the like uh mentality behind Thundercling is like you yeah. charge at everything 100%, possibly so aggressive that other people become uncomfortable, <laughs> which is the way I've mostly lived my life. <laughs> wow. And so thanks for sticking that, around. And with that, we transition to talking about something special about this week. What we need to mention one more thing, even okay. if it's just briefly. Yeah. Our dearest Feedy. <gasps> he me. he of the double digit bouldering, five thirteen <laughs> sport climbing, so strong. He's such a strong little asshole. Feedy is going on an international climbing trip today. Well as you yes, people are well, listening. As you're listening to as you're li- not this not, not our today. Our today is different than your today. Holy shit. shit man, time travel, dude. Thunder to time. Um, Feedy, where are you going? We'll just, we have okay, to talk brief. about this briefly. Um, I am fortunate enough to be having the opportunity to go to Kalimnos in, in Greece. That's right. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to use, I don't know how Grecians talk. Sure but don't. they might talk like this. You can go there and find your lucky charms. Is that? I think that's close. I think it is in the yeah. ballpark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I'll let you know. Are you psyched, dude? You've been training. You've been going to Rifle, Wild Iris. You've been going up to Lander for like that's two right. months now. I'm typically more of a boulder boy. Yeah. But, but the, you're a sport climber as well. But it, I love climbing, as I think a lot of people, you guys listening probably do. <laughs> I fucking hope um, so, dude. Or you fooled me. So, yeah. I've been putting in the, the, some effort because I want to have a good time in Greece. And what can I say? Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Our guest today said yes. it was an amazing place, so that made me really excited. Yeah, and we got like five minutes of, which, of Greece like, talk. Who is our oh buddy? Guest? Oh buddy, do we want to talk about the other thing first, or do we? <laughs> yes, the other thing, real quick, real quick, real quick. So we have an exciting thing that's about to happen. Dave was very kind and just kind of inflated my ego there, so I'm going to inflate his a little bit here. Oh my, um, Dave. So I don't know. You guys probably know. At the end of every episode, we write a little song. Yeah. Um, mainly Dave and for the Dakota Walls episode he wrote a song that was particularly intricate and elaborate <laughs> and kind of surreal and yes building off that kind of momentum of creativity Dave decided to embark on this epic journey of hand <laughs> essentially Dave spent five weeks hand drawing a music video for this song he wrote and craziness we've reached the end of that ride in that yes. today dave gave uh, yesterday dave gave me the photos and i put them together into a video a motion video and so thunderclink's coming out with our first music, music video, video that there's like 85 animations maybe somewhere on there honestly you guys it's bizarre dave it's just is, craziness dave didn't even realize what this was becoming he started off with some crude sketches and was like it was they were kind of funny i was like oh those are really good and then he maniacally went on this process of drawing <laughs> for the next five weeks i'd be like dave you want to go climb he's like dude i gotta draw tonight man truly truly and and to his to to my surprise not really kind of they came out amazing and uh and it's kind of funny because Dave got so much better at drawing over the five weeks that he had to go back and redo his first ones, which is kind of funny. So anyways, they'll be able to judge all that. You'll for be themselves. able to judge it. Please check this out. We're gonna link it in our bios. It's gonna be in our stories, and it'll uh, be on YouTube. It'll be on YouTube. You gotta let us know what you think. Hopefully it's yes, funny. Please. Hopefully you enjoy it. It's kind of this epic story, epic 
visual telling of climbing as a train. And there's a lot of caricatures of Chris Sharma, John Long, Khal Drogo, Jared Leto, Pamela Shanti Pack, Dave. It's Graham. bizarre. Dude. It's bizarre. You got to be mentally ill to you do gotta, what I just did. Wow, okay. Well. Anyways, so that's a really exciting thing that's coming out this week. Yeah. So check that out. We please give us feedback if you like it, if you hate it, if you think it's stupid, if you think it's uh, funny. We'd love to hear it. But most importantly, we have to get to like our guests that I'm like shaking my head about. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. So our guest, as we uh, mentioned earlier, was Boone Speed. Dude, I'm uh, 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 I'm just gonna tell my little story. So I started climbing in the late '90s, and there was one, there was a, a number, there were a number of people that were kind of at the vanguard of the sport, but also like at the vanguard of the culture, mm-hmm. right? Kind of had their fingers on the pulse of yeah. climbing, and one of those people was Boone Speed. Yeah. First American to climb 14B, uh, one of the first 10 people to climb a 14C, um, epic photographer, founder of Pusher. Yes. Um, this dude is, he is like a jack of all trades, but usually when someone's like, someone's a jack of all trades, they're not necessarily a master. A, a master of each one. This guy was at the forefront of hard climbing in the US. Yep. He was at the forefront of a climbing company like the pusher even if you don't really know like if i'm being honest i don't even really i know that pusher made holds but i know that they are like beloved and they were massive in the climbing community back in the 90s so he was at the forefront of climbing business yep. he was a he's responsible for developing some of the most prolific climbing areas in the u.s joe's valley he's one of the first people there putting up first sense check it out on real rock apparently yeah new real rock real rock 14 he'll be a talking head in the joe's i am just a key player in the joe's valley vignette he's one of the most accomplished photographers for outdoor the outdoor industry so this guy is good at things (laughs) he's freaking great at (laughs) yeah uh so many things that he's tackled in his life and um just to go back to pusher yeah like Pusher what it just captured the zeitgeist of the bouldering revolution in the mm-hmm. late 90s and the early 2000s. Um, and it was just like, if you were a boulder, like in a pretty intense boulder back yeah. then, right? And you were riding on that wave of the bouldering movement, Pusher was like the iconoclastic heartbeat of all of that. It mm-hmm. was counterculture. It was had the best photographs. They had the best t-shirts. Yeah. They made the boss climbing hold like one of the most iconic climbing holds ever it was like the first cool climbing hold Mm -hmm. at gyms you know what i mean in the early 2000s it was like oh i just don't have to hold on to a crimp another thing that so you mentioned your experience with boone being one of seeing him as someone who's at the forefront of the sport yeah my experience with boone speed was he was this really charismatic character in like 85% of my favorite climbing movies. Like, yes. I didn't know who he was because I, I just had these films and I didn't really read the magazines when I came. I got into climbing in 2010. But there was always Boone Speed. Who is this guy with the crazy name? And he always has great... Whenever he's interviewed or whenever he talks, his his quotes are... They always stand out. And if you... Yeah. like like I don't know. It's So my, from my perspective, it was like, this dude is just hanging out with the best climbers. He climbs pretty hard, but he also is just a, a interesting character who has a, always has interesting things to say about what's going on. And, yeah, uh, 
I, I, I just couldn't be more happy for this episode. And Boone was so gracious. We, uh, yes. just cold, we just cold called him and he's like, Hey, I'd be super psyched. Let's do I know. it. And it took a while for us. He's so goddamn busy. Yes. He's also started his own company Grasshopper called Grasshopper Industries. Industries where he's making, um, adjustable walls, which I guarantee is going to take off. He's super passionate about yeah. that right now. We're going to talk about it a bunch in the episode, but his time is so freaking precious. Yeah. And he got to, he carved out an hour and a half for us and man, dude, fucking nobodies. <laughs> yeah. I super appreciate it. Well, once the video comes out, well, there's <laughs> just going to be like oh. key figures in the climbing you industry. Guys, yeah. You guys, you guys gotta, <laughs> you guys gotta watch this video. Cause I don't know. It's, it's good. A lot of heart went into it. And uh, hopefully <laughs> you guys watch it because otherwise Dave and I will probably not make any more of these. <laughs> yeah, you got to watch them. There are more to come if uh, it gets some good feedback. But uh, anyway, let's get on to the interview. And once again, we got to thank Boone Speed. I, this was definitely a real, real treasure for me. I know it was for Feedy too, uh-huh. but Boone has been an inspiration in my climbing career and like one of those mentors from afar, mm-hmm. like how to live your life and navigate creativity and uh building a life for yourself he's just like the paragon of that correct so without further ado please from it's a skype interview it is a skype interview. we couldn't fly him out from oregon i will say though of all the skype interviews we've done i felt like it was uh the closest to just being at a table with him as you could have been. oh man it was so great this one was worth it we don't do skype interviews mm-hmm. for everybody this one was worth it yes. so i really hope you guys enjoy it and uh We'll talk to you after the chat. After the chat. I love you. What? I mean, I love you too, Feedy, but I love the, li- the listeners. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I was. No, no, I, I love you. No, no. Feedy, I, um, I'm not sure really, I'm really love you. I think we should have a talk. Okay, let's chat. Down in the city with the wind you live from our uh, living room. Yeah, we're squeezed together <laughs> on a couch pretty tight here. Yeah. This, nice. is, this is actually the first time we've ever done the the in-camera Skype yeah, interview. Usually is it sc- creepy? No. Is it creepy for you is the question. Check, yeah. out, check out my Darth Vader. I like That's that. That's fucking badass, dude. Cool, huh? I got it in the Pacific Northwest. That is very I'll, nice. Because it, it, it's like... It's like... Uh, it's like made like a totem. I like, like how the, it's... You know, the Pacific Northwest looming in your background like, i know that is a, you know. a, that is a little threatening actually it's kind of weird like i put it i i saw the camera i don't know how else to turn it because this is the way my computer faces so no no it's no great. it's no worries no worries at all <laughs> are you looking forward to the next star wars film you know i'm i'm an old school star wars guy me too man like only like whatever my son calls him like Four, five, and six, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they're really number the first three, and, yeah. and four and five are the are are the best. I I could miss even six. Mm-hmm. Dude, I mean Empire, for my money. It, it, it's yeah, just, yeah, Empire, and the, the original was good. The original is great. Did you see Rogue One? No, Rogue I did One? actually. No, I did. I did. That one's pretty good. That's in like my top five, top three, maybe. That might beat the oh. Ewoks. I don't. I, I mean, this is not why we're talking, though. So. <laughs> yeah, we brought you on Boone because we wanted to talk to you. We last Star minute Wars. change Star Trek or Star Wars <laughs> fucking podcast. Um, so don't judge us. We're we're doing some Mountain Dew too. So if you see this gross like amount of Mountain Dew coming up, it's just late at night. 
I'm oh. doing Corona. <laughs> Fuck, okay. Even better choice. We, we may switch to those <laughs> later on. If you don't mind, I'd like to kick it off a little bit from the start because we've been doing some research about your pops who has oh. a gigantic Wikipedia page. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe how big that thing is, but you grew up in like small town Utah and your dad, Ulysses, was a pretty famous like Western sculptor and like former cowboy. Yeah, he's in the Hall of Fame. And he also has yeah, a... Co- yeah, yeah, he is. Um, he his, And he goes by Grant. He he would he hated the name Ulysses. I mean, he didn't hate it. He was he was a pretty reasonable man, but he didn't like it. Um, so he always went by Grant, um, and he signed his work "U Grant Speed" um, for the record. But um, yeah, I mean, it was that was a funky. You know, that was like my reality. I mean, it's yeah. like you know when I when I'm growing up, that's my reality. So. Did you know the side of your dad? Because I, I was reading about it, and he was kind of a cowboy. I mean, well before you were born, did that ever crop up? Like, did he? Was that a part of his like persona? Oh yeah, yeah. My dad dressed like my dad had a cowboy hat on and cowboy boots <laughs> every day of his life. That's he amazing. was a real he was a real cowboy, and I, I remember what I have a friend, a Turkish climber. His name's Serkan. You might know him. And he was just like, I can't believe he's like, I'm in America and you're, and I met a real cowboy. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, it's pretty. I mean, it's like going to Australia. My dad was like the equivalent of like the crocodile, crocodile Dundee character, you know, like <laughs> in, in the outback. Yeah. And how, so was art like fostered in your household and creativity? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. How so? Well, I mean, it was just, it was just actually my dad dad would actually say that my mom was the creative one um and my mom is super creative i mean she's still creative my mom actually it's funny my mom's 80 something years old and she has over six thousand people that follow her on pinterest that's awesome crazy wow life goals she she puts these amazing galleries together and she's really really crafty and she does her she still works and her job is like creating uh window displays uh, for retail stores and she's just amazing decorators kind of crafty yeah she used to she painted and did beadwork and stuff like that but yeah i mean um i grew up in a household that was all creative all the time wow so, do, you, do you ever reflect on how unique that was because i mean i know it's hard to like talk about it because it's your reality right it's what you grew up with so certainly at the time you're like it must, must be like this for everybody but god it's just it's not you know what I mean? No, I know. I realize that. I think the lo- the older I get, the more I realize that it was a pretty special sort of upbringing, and especially as a creative myself, because I never got the, I never got from my parents like, oh, you should get a real job or something. Like that. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so I got, I got, you know, um, my parents were great. I mean, um, and yeah, just don't, not, you know, nothing else, nothing, nothing. I had a I had a great relationship with my parents. My parents were awesome. Man, that is spectacular. Is that something that you think about as you've raised your son's name Nicholas, right? Yeah, Nick, and yeah. He's like eighteen. Yep. Okay. So is that something you've tried to foster with him as well? Just like hundred percent. Yeah. He's yeah. He's he just he's he's in his freshman freshman year right now, and uh, he just started at Pratt in Brooklyn. Nice. So oh, he's wow. like definitely on the on the art train as well creative he wants to he wants to 
right now he's pretty sure that he's going to be an industrial designer, but I mean, he's in foundational courses. Um, so he, you know, it's, it's in him as well. So dude, congratulations. Thanks. (laughs) It's cool. I mean, it's super cool. Like I'm really proud of him and he seems to be, you know, uh, really, he loves it. I mean, I'll, I'll see him out there next week. Yeah, and I, I think in this world, like of just everything's going at hyper speed and right, everybody's working on computers. I, I've always kind of th- well, I've thought recently one of the things that we're never that people are always going to pay for is like real human artwork. Yeah, it's like one of those industries that's never going to go away. Yeah. All right. So your parents were supportive of your art. Uh, how did they take it up when you started getting really into climbing? Like, did they understand what well, you were doing? They, they, they were, they were super protective of me. And so it was a little bit like, I mean, I think like most parents at that point in time, you know, didn't realize what climbing was. I mean, now everyone climbs and yeah. so it's not a big deal, but, but back then it was still considered fringe and kind of dangerous. And so they were a little bit, they were always just kind of like, be careful, you know, like yeah. be safe, be careful. They were super supportive. Um, and again, I was able to, I had their support while not having real jobs and kind of hustling. And mm-hmm. I always, you know, um, I was either in school or I had, a, I had like good jobs, but in the early, the first five years, you know, I was going to yeah. more, more like going to school and like working at IME retail or at the, at my dad's foundry. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just like kind of, uh, um, part-time or, or like not, not like real jobby jobs, you know, like not a desk job. Mm-hmm. And they were, so, so, and they were totally supportive of all that and your pursuit. 100%, 100%, like never not supportive. Wow. That's that. crazy. Cause like a question I would want to ask is <laughs> how did you explain this sport to them in like 1985? Well, they, they saw me, they saw that it made me happy and they saw that, um, it gave me uh, a solid direction in my life. And I mean, where I grew up, I grew up in a town. It's really funny because the town I grew up in is now considered like, it's a, it's a magnet for new businesses and, and, and tech along the, along the Wasatch front here. And when I went to school there, it was a straight up blue collar town. There was a USS steel Mm-hmm. mill there um it was i'm i'm probably one of a dozen kids out of 150 that went to college even wow um it was just not that it was you know it was it was rural it, it really felt like felt like rural utah yeah. and it's not very far from Amer- where american fort canyon sits mm-hmm. right now so um to all that said i you know i was a I, I I didn't know exactly what I was going to do. I was not as dialed as my 18 year old son, my own 18 year old son. <laughs> um, and um, so anyway, just uh, climbing sort of gave my life um, a direction. And I think my parents quickly picked up on that. They were pretty intuitive and, and um, it made sense to them. So, so was this, uh, Sorry, uh, was this part-time work period uh, coinciding with when you were kind of near the peak of your your sport climbing career, or was it like right before? Well, you- so the the part-time work, 
lasted until 91. Mm -hmm. And then I got a job at Black Diamond when Black Diamond moved to Salt Lake City from Ventura. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I did a lot of early development in American Fork. We mm -hmm. started that project in in 88 and and it was it's funny because it, now it seems now it's like kind of historical thing but I mean we were just winging it just making just kind of doing what doing with what we had. Yeah. Um and there were there are moments at that time at those in those years in my life in the late 80s where I was thinking I needed to either move to like the front range, like Eldorado Canyon yeah. or Smith Rock and Bend, you know, and um, and I didn't. And I we just um, we found American Fork Canyon and made the best out of it. Mm -hmm. Turns out it was turns out it was pretty cool. You know, um, the snowbird comp came there and it kind of got discovered by the world, like suddenly and all of a sudden Utah was on the map, not just. You know, before that, the only place in Utah that would have even been talked about really in any kind of media photos or in, even considered was Indian Creek. Right. Really? And um, <clears throat> American Fork kind of put it, put Utah on the climbing map. And all of a sudden, Black Diamond was looking for a new home and they ended up picking Salt Lake over, I think, like Albuquerque and Reno. And all of the, it's funny because all of those places were, would be considered equivalent in in 1990 when they're making that decision. But yeah. but the fact that Snowbird and American Fort Canyon had already uh, at all of a sudden put Salt Lake on the map, oh, right. and they were and and Black Diamond was also interested in skiing. I mean Reno is interesting for skiing too, but but this, the the climbing in Salt Lake kind of put put ahead of Reno, I think, and um, they moved there, and wow. that was. It's weird when you think about like you know the, the chain of events that that um, sort of dictate a life or a future yeah. or you know whatever. Like I'm sitting here, you know, like I got these parents, and then Black Diamond moved here, and and American Fork just happened to be we, we happened to get drills at the same time that we discovered mm -hmm. American Fork, and without Ameri without like automatic drills. American Fork doesn't happen. I mean, nobody's up there like, yeah. you know, like drilling, <laughs> yeah, um, with their hands. And it, you know, it's like it's just not 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 feasible. So all all those things kind of coincided at the, and kind of created this little moment in time. Yeah, yeah. And you were just happened to be there. <laughs> well, that yeah. moment in time, like, were you were you guys aware of like the zeitgeist of kind of the because you guys were there right in kind of the middle of the sport climbing revolution. And the Europeans were kind of doing their thing, and you, or were were you guys in your own bubble, or were you aware of the vibe elsewhere, both internationally was, and in the states? There was enough travel, and there was enough cross pollinization between us and the Europeans. I mean, you know, Wolfgang Gulick, um, Gbabe Trebeau, Rabatou, um, Jackie Goodoff, you know, like. Obviously, in the later years, Ben and Jerry spent a lot of time in, in Salt Lake, but more for the yeah. bouldering. But like, I mean, all these guys came through, you know, um, Skinner, Lynn Hill, all these guys, all these people like and, and other international luminaries. Like there was plenty of um, cross pollinization and people moving to Salt Lake and people spending. Well, a lot of people moved to Salt Lake at that time. You know, Dale Goddard moved there from Boulder. Bobby Benzman moved there. Jeff Wiegand moved there. There's a lot Jesus. of people that 
that moved to Salt Lake and created um, and, and helped create something with the Utah crew. Oh for sure. And a huge contingent from like the Midwest, like Ohio, and lots of dudes from, from uh, New York, people that don't really, that are kind of off the radar these days, but John Cronin, uh, Craig Berman, a lot of people that were Scott Meckler. I mean, people from, from the, had, a, had an imprint on the sport on, at, some, at some point in time. Wow. That's a hell of a scene, man. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah, amazing. And also, the Germans, the fucking Germans love the place. I mean, <laughs> you know, Stefan Koch and um, Martin Joisten and Udo Neumann and all those dudes that are now like helping to, you know, helping guys like Magos along and, and yeah. kind of mentoring the younger German generation. I mean, those guys are all my age, basically, or, you know, basically, we're all the same age. And um, it's it's pretty it's pretty neat. The Germans love this place, actually. American Fork, American Fork, and then just just generally, like I think being in Utah for for the, for a long period of time between American Fork and Logan and yeah. and Maple Canyon and and going yeah. down to the desert and you know it's just like I mean we really have a special place here, like in the Colorado Plateau and the Wasatch, all of it. Yeah, for sure. I mean. I've spent my fair share of actual years out there for sure. It's yeah. amazing. Um, yeah. Joe's Valley. <laughs> yes. Oh, dude, oh, we, we want to actually talk. Maybe that's a good segue to yeah. get into Joe's because, uh, first of all, I'm psyched for the new Real Rock film. So am I. Really psyched. Oh, I'm my really God. Psyched. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. I've- I mean, you're talking to two Denver boys. So, <laughs> like, literally, I've spent years of my life in Joe's. Um, so, how was that transition from you're sport climbing a lot and then you start sniffing out new bouldering in places like Ibex and Joe's. What was that transition like? Because I mean, we don't have the tech, not like gigantic. You didn't have organic pads and chalk buckets, you know, this, well, was- we didn't have pads period period. Yeah. So we, we started Mike call and I, you know, the, the spot pad was actually introduced by black diamond in 1993. Mm-hmm. And it was the exact same oh. year, same trade show that that um, John Sherman and and an old brand Kinaloa, a guy named Bruce Pottinger. Yeah, John Sherman and Bruce Pottinger actually made what is now the prototype of what has become the modern bouldering pad. The spot was more like, gosh, I mean, it was better than nothing, and it carried your <laughs> shit, you know. And it was like. I mean, I still I still carry a spot today. I mean, I think it's a great crack nice. sack. You know, Black Diamond has has um, has uh, drafted off of it with their what is it their their pipe dream bag and yeah, you know okay. these roll up burrito type yeah things, especially for cragging, are just brilliant. So um, the spot was everything we wanted it to be, but but people, I can't even imagine how. I mean. Bailey and I went up Little Cottonwood tonight and we had these giant pads that are like, you know, that's just like de rigueur, you know, like you just, everyone just has these giant pads. Yeah. They didn't exist then. We had mats, like, like car mats mm-hmm. to wipe our feet on and keep our feet dry. Oh um, shit. What and you- that was, you know, and then, and, and basically I think after about four or five years of just hammering it on, um, on sport climbing, we somehow decided that we needed to go to go bouldering more. 
And the V grades were just coming out. Before that, it was like this really esoteric, like mm -hmm. built like a gill, yeah, the gill system. grading system. <laughs> and there was font and there were the English, you know, like Ben and Jerry were big advocates of bouldering in font and making videos about it. Yeah. And if it weren't for the videos and video tech, you know, like being able like affordable video camera technology, I mean, MC filmed everything and kind of helped, you know, foster that all along. And that's what Ben and Jerry were doing in England. And so, um, I mean, honestly, it's like that it's like being, it's like the equivalent of being Instagram famous today. Yeah. It's just like we were kind of video famous. Oh my God. Just creating these stories in video yeah. and, and, um, and that was, that was, uh, that just also just happened. I mean, we just thought that we were going to get stronger if we went bouldering. Mm -hmm. I actually think now that it's not true. I think I, I do harder moves on a rope like than I do on normal size boulders where I can hit the ground. That's interesting. Hard. But like, um, you know, obviously we did some hard moves and, and got strong one way or another. Man, those MC Cal or Mike Cal movies are so awesome i like i think those are so underrated today like not a lot of people I f most modern people just getting to bouldering like haven't seen those but like frequent flyers big game and then best of the west those are like three those are, sick, huh? those are so yeah. good <laughs> they're fucking yeah. great man for like yeah. i started climbing in the late 90s so that was like my full wheelhouse like every day you know, waking, awesome. waking up and watching free Waco when I started climbing every single morning for like yeah. four months in a row, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. that aesthetic was really cool back then. It was like a skater type video <laughs> aesthetic. We were all, I think we were, you know, we were trying, we were, we were all influenced by skating for sure. For sure. For sure. Pusher was, that was the whole idea behind pusher. So is to have a little bit more fun with, with climbing. And I mean, we weren't selling anything that, that kept you alive necessarily. Yeah. Like we weren't selling like, you know, life supporting gear. So we could have a lot more fun with our marketing and get more sassy. And Black Diamond actually helped us, help Mike Call and I incubate Pusher for sure. They were, oh, wow. they gave us space at their factory and we started making holds at Black Diamond. Well, okay. That's Did I have a question about that aesthetic? Um, because when you came up, when I did, Pusher was the fucking bee's knees. It was the coolest thing going on in the sport, period. Like, undeniably from like 99 to 2004. Um, did you know at that time who like Glenn Friedman and Craig Stesick were from like the Oh, old yeah, for sure. For what sure, I did. There was wasn't a whole lot of people in climbing that actually knew that um i also i mean david carson um do you know who david carson is i don't the know graphic designer. i mean ray gun magazine yeah surfer magazine surfers journal um you know the guys from uh obviously glennie friedman and those cats taking photo photographs um uh all those guys i mean all of that What's the guy's, uh, the BC boys, Ricky, um, can't remember, used a uh, fish oil a lot. Yeah. Uh, but um, 
I'll remember his name here in a minute. But yeah, all those guys. And what was interesting is is that we ended up we were listening to Minor Threat and yes. a lot and just like and so Mike Call when he when he was designing we were we were li- he and I were living together and he was he was trying to figure out music for um, Yank on This which was like the original Yank on This and it had like old like George Lucas Star Wars like stuff like spliced in and he'd done he'd done it on one of those like editing machines where you wow, twirl yeah. fingers around and yeah. and like on tape basically at the house and I had no idea really what he was doing and he was creating this really amazing piece of art video art and he he was like he literally called discord records and then I came home that day and he he this is 1990 probably 95 maybe 96 and he called Discord Records, and he's like, "Dude, I called, I called, uh, I called Discord Records. Guess what? He's like, he's like, Discord Records. This is Ian. No, Mike was just like, uh, 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 hey man, uh, so I'm making these videos, and you know, like, and and Ian was like, and he was like, and I need some music, and Ian was like, well, how much you paying? everybody else and he's like i i haven't i, I don't have any money and I, he's like I'm, and, and ian's like okay well you can use my music he's like he's like just if you pay somebody else i want to be paid the same he's like i don't want to be punished for being nice That's and awesome. mc was just like oh my god oh, and, it, and it made it made such a big impression on mc because you know we weren't it's funny now because it's like you know like i know a ton of whatever famous people or whatever this or that or you know like um and you meet people and you realize that everyone's kind of the same and and um it's not that big of a deal but i mean when we were like 25 26 years old dude and, and you know it was like that was sick yeah and you change you know like and it's funny now because we're like really good friends with amy pickering who was like who's russ clunes you know significant other and she was running basically the operation to discord records and you know, it was like really good friends with those guys. And it's really funny because it's all kind of come back full circle. Yeah, circle. It's all in the family now, but it was really cool because it was a cold call. Ian was totally cool. Discord was cool. And, you know, all the credit to those guys. And we still, I think MC still uses Discord music as much as he can because it's like, I mean, it's still fucking awesome. Yeah. It's still, you know, still energy, still like the real deal, still DIY and I think there's a lot of that punk rock mentality in especially in like our generation that was that was you know what that was what fueled us 100% fucking balls what a story dude 13 songs is in my top 10 albums of all time yeah yeah for sure just fucking period if I yeah yeah always whenever it comes on and like that first riff like the first bass riff and you're just like this is yeah it's (laughs) sick i can literally listen to margin walker like talking to my grandma and be happy yeah like it chills me out and fucking psychs me up do you know that song on um why you know why can't i like why can't i walk free free of um uh gosh now the word is wrong like the it's actually written for amy pickering um you know why can't i walk down the street um, is that suggestion? Free a suggestion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah free a suggestion. Duh. And uh, yeah. So anyway, and that's all. That's that's uh, 
that's written for about for and about Amy. Wow. Fuck. Oh man, that just derailed my whole thought process. I got to tell you, I did not expect Fugazi to come up. One of my favorite all-time bands. Yeah, but it all it's all tied in, right? Yeah. Like like every like you you emailed me a bunch of questions and said, "Hey, we want to touch on this and that." And it's like it's all tied into that certain soundtrack, that certain aesthetic, like the, you know, like Glenn Friedman's, you know, like Dogtown and Z boys and, and all that stuff is, is, um, you know, like, I mean, that's, that comes after like Dogtown and Z boys. I knew Glenn Friedman's work, but I didn't, I didn't tie it to Glenn, to, to Dogtown and Z boys until many years after that. But right. it was just like, like raw skate music. Um, and there's a, there's others too that I, I could, you know, we could, we could talk about, but it's all like MC and I were fairly tuned in to, um, and we're, you know, we're, we were talking about the art and the, and the, and all that stuff all the time. Yeah. So we were, we were influenced by other artists and, and musicians and, um, those aesthetics and the, the whole DIY movement. You know, yeah, fuck yeah. Uh, can you tell me kind of what happened? Pusher's story is uh, ethereal. It, it's hard to get a grasp on kind of the saga of Pusher since those early heydays. What kind of yeah. happened to the to the company? If if you well, can talk about it, I you know like I, I'll just I'll just let the original Pusher sort of rest in peace. Um, it went through. It went through some other some ownership changes, and that those 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 people didn't really have like they weren't ever involved. They had no DNA in Pusher, and it was not it was not authentic to what Pusher was. And but now now as of about two years ago, Jared Roth, a really good friend of ours, yeah, um, kind of brought Pusher out of the ashes and has resurrected it in a really good way. And he's a very good friend of ours and mine, especially and, and MC and like, we're, we're all climbing together. We're all, Jared just got a, a space here in Salt Lake city. And we've just, you know, I'm, I'm building climbing walls. Now mm-hmm. these adjustable climbing walls and we we're collaborating on, on projects for that. And so, um, you know, pusher, Pusher started out as a collaboration. It was a, it was um, always friendly. Just you know, it was always inclusive. Always trying to push limits of um, kind of trying to blend. Um, it's interesting because climbing. I'm gonna I'm gonna make an obtuse sort of, um, like observation here, but like. Climbing typically happened until, you know, like until 20 years ago, climbing was happening mostly in rural areas. And I'm part of that. Like I grew up in a rural area. It just so happened that my father was an artist and I was and I was exposed to art and culture in a, in a way that most people in the, in the rural world were not. When you when you look at the things that were influencing Pusher, it was it was coming from downtown and i'm not and i'm talking about skating which is mostly you know coming from the inner cities it's obviously suburban as well and especially like orange county and and all of that suburban craziness but like 
and, and Denver and places like that. Right. But like it's like and, and the suburb suburbs of Denver even and, and like all of that. But like really it has it has a lot more. You know, if you look at um, uh, those guys who were creating, who were kind of like doing the equivalent of what we were doing with Pusher in climbing, whether it was like Rodney Mullen or like at Templeton and these guys that were like making a, making an imprint on the sport. Mm-hmm. It, it had more of an artistic feel. Now climbing is, is being, we're drawing on not only the furthest reaches of the planet, but we're drawing on these, these um, influences from downtown. I mean, the climbing is growing from the inner city out. And that's, I think is becoming really interesting. And in a way, I guess what I'm, I guess the, to sum that all up, is pusher was maybe twenty years ahead of its time in, yeah. in its own in its in its existence, and we didn't have enough money to do what we needed to do, and we didn't have enough understanding of what it was it, what deliverables were supposed to look like. We were selling an idea. We were selling something that was like, I mean, if it was if pusher was created in the era of social media, we'd we'd, we'd be killing it. I don't know how we monetize it, but like. Yeah. We certainly have a lot of followers and that's kind of the way it was. I mean, we MC and I thought we could make money on t-shirts and videos and not really on plastic and, you know, maybe some clothing if we can break into that. And it turns out making climbing clothing and making a living at it is really difficult. You know, lots of companies have tried and failed, you know, if it wouldn't have been for yoga, you could argue that maybe even Prana wouldn't have Mm -hmm. succeeded in the way that they did. So, you know, there's a lot of forces at that are that are coming at you, and and you know, um, I've almost it, you know, it's funny because this time around as an entrepreneur, my 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 project right now it's Grasshopper Industries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're making adjustable climbing walls, and they're awesome. And it's a big idea, and it's it's not just fancy woodies. It's like fucking adjustable climbing walls for people and a big adjustable climbing surfaces that are going to, I think are going to change. Well, it creates an exponential variable, you know, like mm-hmm. more than, more than a static wall. Like there's no reason to just stay at 40 degrees. Um, and in fact, the, the world cup boulder problems are closer to vertical. So um, like them or not, that's just the reality of like what we're going to see in the Olympics and things like that. And that's where the money's going to go. And, People are going to follow that. But um, it's interesting because I've almost approached the job that that because of what happened to Pusher and because we had everything, seemingly everything, but we still didn't make it. Um, I've, I've approached this new business from like almost like a pre-mortem standpoint, like, <laughs> yeah. like from a from a from a Murphy's law of like what can go wrong will go wrong for sure. And like, how do you, you know, like taking everything that we did right from pusher, but also learning from more from what we did wrong and what we didn't and what we were blindsided by in a way, you know, which is just like, you can have too much success too quick if if that's possible. Do you think that's what happened to pusher? There's a lot of things that happened to pusher, but that's one of them. Yeah. Too much success too fast. I mean, it seems like that would be a good problem to have. <laughs> it is. I think it is a good problem to have if you've got people in place that can uh, that can um, 
make decisions on the fly and that can it that can it you know what you need in there is like a, a triage nurse more than <laughs> yeah. more than um more than just psych you know what i mean like yeah. what you really need is somebody in there that can stop the bleeding and keep you know keep yeah. um keep a dying body on life support and until until and resuscitate it and you guys were all pretty young too when that kind of blew we up. were really young and you know honestly underestimate i mean it's funny because looking back like of course we were going to make a cool company yeah that never was we we knew we were we knew we were doing the right thing mc and i i think we knew we were doing the right thing that was never in question and it's funny because it's like i've been involved with you know on boards of directors and other situations with these companies that are like really successful and they, they all they want is in a lot of ways is what pusher had and to me like that's not that's not the hardest thing to get mm-hmm. the hardest thing to get is is um it's just like i mean right now my 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 the hardest trick for me is is just making sure that all my distribution is dialed yeah. yeah, especially with you know, twenty thousand dollar climbing walls, mm-hmm. that uh, needs to be distributed properly, and yeah. arrive properly to the customer. Mm-hmm. Those are the That's nuts. And, those are the nuts and bolts, man. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> the nuts and bolts have to be right. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I mean, and if they're not, if the nuts and bolts are not right, and this is very literal because because just today I got an email where I didn't have exactly everything dialed, you know, and it's, it's with it, with a guy that's helping me test these products and, you know, he's, he's on my team. And so I've, he's, he's working with me and, you know, it's like this dry run and it's like, so, so I'll use this person as a, as a, like, as a, as a, as there was somebody to dry run an idea, you know, with, and it's like, Hey, Tell me, tell me how this arrives and is this, is this right? Yeah. And it's like, it arrived pretty well and it's 99% right, but these things are wrong. And it's like, okay, noted. You know, now I can deliver it. Now if, now if people that don't know me call me, I'm going to get it right. But, mm-hmm. but it's complicated enough out of the gate. Like if I, like in, in, in the case of Pusher, we were selling, we weren't selling big ticket items. We were selling smaller items. And, you know, if you have, if you have, um, you know, a hundred people call you and order a box of holds and they get there and, you know, the, especially to Europe and all of a sudden the MA or the M10 bolts don't fit in the fucking like countersink. That's catastrophic. <laughs> and these are the things that you, you learn the hard way, you know, it's a $30,000 order goes to Norway and the bolts, the M10 bolts don't fit because we were so precise on fitting the three eighths inch uh 16s in there whatever they are right and it's like um then the fucking m10 bolts don't fit and then you've got a thirty thousand dollar order that doesn't work and wherever you sold it so little things like that are that's what i won't do with my new company (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i'll dry run i'll dry run in a safe environment with allies before i do before before I, I oversell. How how old is Grasshopper Industries? We started two two years ago, two years ago, but we're really sort of, 
really coming alive. I mean, yeah. we've put in going on 15 walls now mm-hmm. around the country and we're like, it's, it's been a little bit like word of mouth. It's, yeah. it, it's the product is killer. You guys, it's, it's amazing. Like mm-hmm. everyone that has them loves them. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working with, I'm working with Oscar winners and I'm working with, uh, you know, expats that live in Spain now and have gyms over there. And, yeah. you know, people, pe- people that are like, that are, um, people that are, you know, that, that, that are really happy with these products. I'm psyched. Yeah. And, and just to clarify, so you are, are you constructing like the hydraulic system for changing the walls or is it actually uh, good, the... good question. So we don't use hydraulics or okay. actuators. Um, we, we started with hydraulics and actuators. It's funny because um, the 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 maintenance issues with hydraulics and actuators are horrible. Um, most people that have dealt with them in their in their previous life don't want to ever deal with them again. Mm-hmm. So we we're using to in order to adjust our walls, we're using a hoist mm-hmm. and uh, heat treated pre stretched spectra cord that's like twenty thousand pounds. And more static than like half inch cable, mm-hmm. and so these walls have all this travel. They have over fifty degrees of travel, and they're super solid. How'd you make it not wobbly? <laughs> I mean, fuck! I gotta ask that question. How how is it like? So what- the, the, our hinge is super tight. Uh, the, the tolerances on it are all super tight. It's it's made out of um, uh, out of all like like CNC aluminum parts and all the tolerances are super, super tight. And so, um, y- yeah, you can ask anyone that's climbed on them. They do not wobble. No, I mean, that was a stupid question, but <laughs> 800 pounds of, of like downward force on the, on this spectra. And it just hangs in, in mm-hmm. like, it just hangs. Wow. Fuck. It and, is- and it, and it adjusts. And the thing is, is if you want it to go vertical, we have a way to secure it vertically. Mm-hmm. But right now, I mean, you just push a button and it goes down to 70 degrees. You push another button and it goes up to uh. 20. And it's like there's zero, well, virtually zero wobble. Like if you if you go and you, if you put a, like it would be funny to go and put um, like some kind of a measuring device on, if you, if you have a jug on just a regular climbing wall at your downtown gym, and you go and you pull on that jug, it actually moves more than you think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, like these, these yeah. wood panels, right? Yeah. We're used to that. Um, my walls feel like my walls, when somebody's climbing on them, you can, you can see some movement from the side, but it's so minuscule that the climber says it didn't move at all. Mm-hmm. And it, honestly, like when you pull onto it, it feels like you're pulling onto a boulder. Like, like if I'm pulling onto the moon board or the tension board holds or kilter or whatever I've got on it, like when I'm pulling on it, there's zero give. And it, what's weird about it is, is that you realize how much give is implied with walls in general, like just at your local climbing gym. Mm-hmm. Oh, the gym that we climb at, uh, there are definitely walls that are trampolining as you climb, especially the yeah. closer Do you get my, to the this top. This does not trampoline at all. It's absolutely rock solid. I mean, I've, like I said, I mean, I had, I had, you know, Ronnie Jenkins and Justin Wood yesterday just, just text me and they're like, dude, that wall is sick. Justin just got back from, 
he'd been traveling for a couple of weeks. We, he went down to push her, climbed on the wall, and he was just like, dude, it is sick. Sharma wow. climbed on my wall in ISPO and at the trade show there in yeah. Germany. And he, and he was just like, he's like, I need these for my gyms in Spain. That's awesome. Wow, <laughs> that's a good blurb for your company website. Oh, I know. I mean, <laughs> that's fucking I, it, great. It, 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 it's true. I mean, I'm working with really, really good reputable people and I'm getting feedback from them and I'm all I'm trying to do is please my friends because my friends are the hardest I mean the you know that I don't know that you know like that moonboard has um a lot of people that are fanatical about yeah. details and you know grades and angles and hold the I mean these are the these are the nerdiest of ner climbing nerds, right? And, and, and they're strong and they're influencers. And the only people that I'm trying to please right now are those guys. Like yeah. they're the only people that I care about because, because, you know, if you go to the climbing gym and you climb on one of their adjustable hydraulic walls, the thing is bouncing, literally bouncing and nobody cares. Nobody yeah. behind the desk cares. The owners don't care. <laughs> nobody cares. But my friends care. Yeah. And my and my friends are the toughest customers and that's who I'm trying to please right now. Fuck, yes. Yeah. Jesus, I'm, that's I'm, a good I'm sales pitch. I'm, <laughs> I'm confident that I'm on the right side of this argument. I re I'm really confident yeah. that I'm on the right side of this argument. I mean, my system is awesome. So, it's just a matter of time before people start getting it out. I'm putting so I'm putting one in Manhattan next week. Um I just put I put a couple in Boston. I've got a bunch in residences around the Lake Tahoe area, Marin County, LA. Um, there's one up in Boulder. Oh, where? Samets. Yeah. Wait, where is that? Where is it? Matt Samets. Oh, <laughs> Samet has one? Yeah. <laughs> God, that's why he wrote that moonboard thing in Climbing Magazine a couple weeks ago. It's because you he psyched. Him. Yeah, he's he fucking psyched. psyched. Oh, he's a friend of the pod. We're good buddies. I love Matt. Him. Yeah, he's great, dude. <laughs> I love, I mean, all these guys are friends. And so. Um, uh, anyway, my, my wife was running moon climbing North America for the, for a long time. And so she got, um, you know, so Matt actually reached out to her to get some, some holds and stuff like that. Wow. Awesome. And then, and then I talked to him and I said, Hey man, you want an adjustable wall. Yeah. And that's, and that's what he put in. He's like, I want to climb 14 B by the time I'm six. So we got to do it. Yeah. Again. <laughs> I fucking got to do it, man. I got to get on the moon board. So do I. So do I. Yeah, man. With yeah. this new business, do you have time for like your like Good photography course. or climbing? Or, or are you pretty, pretty focused right now on this project? No, I'm, I'm super focused on climbing as well. I mean, okay. I think it's important. I think R&D and research and development on, on my own product, it requires climbing. And I have to be, um, you know, like I'm not, I'm, I, my goal is to just kind of be 8A fit. I'm, I don't care too much. I'm, hopefully, I'll, I'll be able to do some hard climbing again at some point. But like, if I never do another 514, I'm, I'm not going to be bummed. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's like, I did that back when I was just lucky to do it when I did it, you know, when it, when it, it was, it was, it's now, now like my hardest roots have been on-sided over and over, you know, so. <laughs> I mean, there's. I was just lucky. That to takes be where away I was. nothing. That takes away yeah. fucking nothing. There's they, some. There's something. No, it, was, it was good. It was fun. It was. It was. It was fun. But I'm just saying, like, it's not my priority anymore yeah. to 
dedicate my life to climbing the hardest routes. So I just want to be, um, I want to have a respectable, I want to show up and be respectable <laughs> and have fun and, you know, mostly have fun and hang. And if I can boulder V8, V9, V10 in a few tries and red points some eight A's, maybe a little bit harder, I'm happy. Yeah. Um, and go, go I, I guess you guys are going, one of you is, you guys are going to Kalimnos? Feedy. Yeah. Super fun, man. I love that place. Dude, I'm psyched, man. I'm Have more, you ever been? No. I've, I fucking love Kalimnos, man. I've, I love it. It's like one of the only places where it has been never shit on by people. Like everyone's like, I love that place. You can it's, always. It's so fun. Just, you know, get a scooter, get a nice place <laughs> to stay. You'll have great food. Um, you, you'll get it some, you'll get some hiking in. Um, everything about that place is awesome. Um, it's, it's just great. It's great fun. I mean, the best, you know, you know, the best climbers in the world don't, um, I mean, if you're client, if you want to climb 515, you probably don't necessarily want to go there, but if you just want to climb 512, 513, yeah. some easy 514, that's, the, <laughs> it's an awesome place to go. Cool. And 511 and 510 and 59 and whatever you want to climb. Yeah, man. But I mean, it's just, it's an onsite spot, you know, for mm -hmm. Find your sweet spot and just go out and on site day after day after day. Oh Often. my god, I'm boiling with <laughs> jealousy right now. <laughs> what kind of what kind of climbing do you like, Feedy? Well, I'm honestly I'm mainly a boulder, but the past few months in preparation for this trip, I have been embracing the rope. <laughs> and uh I'm I think I'm been gonna a, like, like rifle, a rifle, lander, yeah. wild iris every single weekend for like three months he's been. Yeah, preparation. Yeah. Oh man, I mean we're. So but I mean, do you like it real steep or like tufas, or do you like it kind of like like wild iris lander kind oh, of man, stuff? Man, I've never honestly, I've never climbed on real steep limestone. I don't think or, or tufa stuff. So I have a feeling I'm gonna like it because I'm a big fan of like open hand holds and uh, hopefully friendly friendly holds. Yeah, you'll you'll you everything you'll have everything there anyway. You know, like <laughs> it's that's the cool thing. I mean, there's the Grand Grot that everyone sees photographs of. Yeah, and like okay, that's cool. Like I rarely even climb in there. I prefer the stuff that's just like you Slightly. know, like mm -hmm. you know, like more like um, Virgin River Gorge type angle stuff mm -hmm. like that. Fuck, dude! <laughs> Get out of here, Feedy! Already too yeah, jealous. No, you're gonna love it. You're gonna love it. All right, let's. Um, if you don't mind, I'd like to talk about photography a little bit. That's for, like for sure. So when you were working at Pusher, obviously building that aesthetic, right? Um, and having all of that inspiration and just in a place that was fostering this like counterculture creativity, is that I'm I'm kind of hunting for the time where photography clicked with you, where you were like, "Fuck, I I think I can do this for a living." <laughs> like I I like this. Was oh, that man. it? Yeah. No. That it's funny because it kind of happened that way. Um, I, it's funny because I actually, um, I was, I was the photo editor at black diamond yeah. for seven years and I got very familiar with the entire process. I'd studied a little bit of photography, studied graphic design, but I studied, but I studied, um, photography a little bit and never even like, I wasn't going to be a photographer. Um, that wasn't even, it didn't even occur to me to be a, to, to want to be, even though like some of my very first photographs, my teacher ended up like 
entering in some contests and, and I won. That's awesome. It that was of your dad, right? Your dad. Right? I read about what? that. That was, um, you shot uh, a, a photo of your dad sculpting. like sculpting. And yeah. it, that was the one that won? Yeah. Fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was crazy. And it never even occurred to me to be a, a photographer. So part of that was I, I knew studio photography from working with my dad. And that definitely was way too expensive and too much of a like hassle for me to ever even think of like studio photography was not going to happen. And then I was also on the other side of the camera at the time, um, being shot as an athlete. And I couldn't even imagine like not climbing when I was out there. (laughs) So, um, that wasn't going to happen either. And, and so, um, and I, and I guess working for black diamond, I saw the hassle of like sending in film and doing all this, like, you know, the whole dog and pony show of like having to FedEx in like slides and getting all that stuff dealt with. And, but meanwhile, I was, I was basically, I went to school for, for 10 years in photography, just having to do it, do it for Black Diamond. And I was responsible for all of the like styling and taking care of all the, all the studio stuff for the catalogs and then picking all the photos for posters and ads and, and the catalogs and stuff like that. That was my job. One of my jobs at Black Diamond. And so when Pusher came along, naturally, um, that was just one of my responsibilities. And MC and I, and it's funny because I got a Lomo camera because David Byrne had a Lomo camera <laughs> at the time. I saw some photos and I'm like, that's sick. So they're all blurry and yeah, kind of painterly and kind of funky. And, and this is like back in the film days. And so I, and I was able to afford a Lomo and I figured I knew enough about photography that that was fun for me. It was like an art project. Mm-hmm. I could carry around my Lomo and I got some cool shots and, <clears throat> you know, like they ended up being sort of the aesthetic or kind of determining or the blueprint for the whole pusher aesthetic, which now seems awesome. <laughs> but like, it just seemed great. You know, it just seemed like natural back then. Mm-hmm. And then what ended up happening is, is uh pusher kind of fell apart. I was doing some creative work for entreprise and some other climbing companies. And I started taking photographs as I was asked to take photographs. And by 2004, it kind of occurred to me that my favorite part of climbing, my whole climbing life was to, um, was all the travel and people that I met and places that I went and saw. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh, well I can just do that now. I, I, I'm not a good climber anymore, but I can, <laughs> I can, uh, go travel with Chris and Obi and those guys yes. and take photos. So that's how it happened. And once, once I got started on that, my son was, you know, my son at that point was like four years old and I was getting divorced from his mom. And it was like, now it was like the pressure was on and once i got started i mean i can't imagine a more difficult career path to forge than (laughs) fucking photography honestly and but i just determined and i did it why why is that why is that you know it's it's um anyone can take a good any you can drop a camera and take a good photograph (laughs) um it's it's not 
and there's, it's easy to take a good photograph and it's easy to think that you're going to be a professional photographer, but what really, what, what being a professional photographer is all about is building relationships and making lemonade out of lemons all day long forever and <laughs> under pressure, <laughs> under pressure, yeah. you know, like, I mean, look, it's funny because one of the reasons I started my company one of the reasons why I actively got excited about starting Grasshopper Industries is because it was about the same time that Jared kind of resurrected Pusher. And I realized that when my work had a purpose, it made me happier. Mm -hmm. And and it gave me, it, like, I'm going to make photographs for Grasshopper that I that nobody's going to hire me to make. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're just not going to take the risk. And, you know, like the, the my favorite photographs are the ones that, that there's risk involved. And I'm not talking about like like hanging from a rope in a gnarly place off a shitty anchor. I'm talking about like messing around with the camera and playing the instrument in a way that's unconventional. Like, you know, Jimi Hendrix plays his guitar or whatever. Like mm -hmm. you have like for me, a good photograph is is how is interpreted i don't take photos i'm, I'm not like a hallmark i don't take <laughs> postcard photographs right. not what i do yeah I, I don't i don't i don't go that's a beautiful thing i'm going to take a photograph i'm going to depict that and that's that that's what i shoot i don't do that i try to shoot things that you can't see and moods and like environments and things light and the temperature and like things that you can't really see. And, you know, you, that, that's not necessarily it's, it's art and I don't have time to become an art photographer. Um, yeah. And so in order to make a living and, you know, um, get my, you know, get my kid through his first 18 years, you know, I needed, <laughs> I needed a real job and that became commercial photography. So, um, uh, yeah, it's, I wanted to talk about the tension between like the personal work and the commercial work. So you talk about like risk in your photography and obviously looking at your catalog. For me, your greatest photos seem to me to be risky photos or capturing a moment that is like there and gone. Just right. like that. How is it when you step into the commercial realm and people are hiring you to do this and that. Is there tension between the aesthetic that you desire and the aesthetic that you're hired for? You know, I think so. I think one of the things that, that I'm able to do is compartmentalize a little bit and make kind of just have, have fun with the challenge that's at hand. And so if I'm on a commercial shoot, I have fun trying to please the art director or the, the creative director, but at the same time, have a conversation with them. Look, I'm lucky because most everyone that I work with, I have, uh, I've built a good relationship with. I get called to do work by people that um, like, like what I do mm -hmm. naturally. So I don't have to like go out and change who I am necessarily. Um, you know, like sometimes, you know, sometimes the subject matter is cheesier than I would like or more <laughs> like mainstream, obviously. But 
I'm still I'm still hired to capture uh, fleeting moments. Typically, that's that's what people hire me for, or 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 like fine architecture. Um, that's you know those those are kind of my two wheelhouses. Um, and I guess what I'm trying to say is, if I'm if I'm in a cheesy situation and I don't like it necessarily, it's not my thing. I just figure out. I just focus on something that is fun about it and maybe the challenge of, you know, if it's a kid on a swing set, let's get that moment with the sunburst behind it, behind it. And like, everyone will be happy, you know, like yeah, I've had yeah. fun making this photograph and they're going to have this, this, you know, nice moment, even though it's super cheesy. That's, <laughs> that's a good way to look at it, man. Sometimes it's hard to quiet your internal voice if you disagree with someone's taste, I guess. So <laughs> I, you know, honestly, Fee, I haven't had a whole lot of, I've been really, really lucky and I haven't had a whole lot of those conflicts. That's um, awesome. uh, it's happened a couple of times, but, um, and it's happened a couple of times. Like, um, one of the, one of the things that I learned kind of the hard way is some of the hardest climbing, some of the hardest photo shoots I've been on. Mm-hmm are climbing photo shoots and i'll tell you and it's because that's interesting and it it is interesting and it's like why is that and it's because because climbing companies have zero budget and they want you to go out and they want you to make magic on some shit pile route (laughs) without any like without any thought process it's just like you know how to shoot photography you you know how to shoot climbing great climbing photographs we're going to send our athlete and you're going to go to this zone and we're going, and you're going to make beautiful photos. And it's like <laughs> some turds just can't be polished. That is, yeah, that's so true. <laughs> so that, you know, more, more of the commercial work and the, the commercial work that actually pays the bills, the budgets are a little bit bigger and the locate people understand the importance of a good location. And they actually have a conversation with the photographer it's not, you know, not as dictatorial. And, and um, so anyway. I'd like to get in one more question about like your personal aesthetic because photography is not my wheelhouse and I'm fascinated by it. But um, do you, do photographers of your stature and other people of similar statures, if you can speak for them, maybe you can't, but do you guys consider how to make your work recognizable or unique or inimitable or is that something that like stems from a subconscious personal aesthetic like is it something that you consciously think about like this has to be a boon speed photo or is that something that's just grown out of you organically i think well i i kind of i i would equate it to music and i think Uh like i just have a sound Yes. I have a voice and a sound and a way I play my instrument. And like, I can be influenced by, I can be influenced by Keith or by Tim or by Jimmy. And, you know, it's like, and I can be like, oh, those are great photographs. And I can go out and use that as inspiration. And I'm still not going to make the same photograph. Yeah. I just don't have, we just have different eyes, different lenses, different, different ways that we see a situation, you know? I can only kind of see it through my eyes. And I think that that style that you're, that you're referring to is, um, 
I don't think Glenn Friedman thought for one second about what his style was going to be. Yes, that's what I'm trying to. That's what I'm trying to dig like, into, right? It just, it's just, it's just like it's the way he plays the guitar. It's just the way he plays the instrument. Yep. Fucking a. You know, I have another question though, a little bit off topic, but I've heard you compare photography to music before. Do you do you play an instrument? No. No. No, I tried. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I tried. I wish I did. I, I, I really wish I would have stuck with the drums. Mm-hmm. My parents made me play the piano and I hated that. And then um uh and then for some reason I tried to play the saxophone in, in junior <laughs> high school and I just can't play any of them. <laughs> right on. Uh Fugazi music is pretty tough to play if you ever if you need to know that. That shit's chaotic and wacky. Um, Which one is Fugazi music? Fugazi, man. Oh, minor threat's yeah. a little bit easier. Fugazi's pretty hard. Um, I have another question, a little bit more about climbing. Ah, uh, whether you like it or not, in the coming years, I don't think right now, but you are going to be an elder statesman of climbing, meaning you're going to be asked to talk about your era. You're gonna just like you were asked to talk about the Joe's development, right? In the new real rock. Um. Do you ever grapple with like nostalgia or anything like that? Or is that transition away from the years of your like world-class top tier climbing? Do you look back at those with nostalgic thoughts? Um, Honestly, no, I don't really. I think I was really grateful to be um, where I was at where, when I was there. And honestly, I'm really happy to be where I'm at right now. Yeah. I just try to keep, I mean, I think as you, as the birthdays pile on and if you give it any thought, like what, what are the important things, you know, it's like, I'm, I just turned 54 years old. I can't help that. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just the way it is. And, you know, I want to set a good example for living a full life for my, for my son. And I think part of that is just, you know, like having new, I'm, I'm as excited about grasshopper right now as I am, as I was about photography in 2005. And as, and as I was about in 1995 and about climbing in 1985, you know, like it's all just an evolution. It's, it's, um, you know, this, this project for me right now is, well, it's arguably age appropriate, but it is kind of just age appropriate. I'm psyched. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's cool. To no, see. I don't look back. I, I look back, and I'm more more than nostalgia. I'm just super grateful. Yeah, honestly, that I was there, and I have all these friends, and I have these cool memories. And people like you care. Like yeah. it makes me feel good, and I'm psyched. But I don't, I don't, rem, I don't spend time reminiscing or wanting to go back. Jesus, well, that's it's, amazingly healthy answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's cool to see you as somebody who transitioned so well from high-level athlete into another prof- into a profession that's still kind of related to your your sport. Because I think that's something that any anybody who's at the peak of their sport has to grapple with eventually. You know, you can't be you can't be at the the forefront of a sport forever. No. And and being able to you know do that uh, in a graceful way is just it's awesome. inspiring. It's, yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys think so. <laughs> I'm 45, man. I'm like looking, looking at you as blazing a nice, nice path. 
for sure. Cause well, for- that makes me, that makes me feel good. I mean, all I can do is, you know, that actually makes me feel good. Like if I can inspire other people to stay, to, to try to keep, stay relevant and like do cool shit. There's nothing wrong with being 45. Um, well, you know, my, my back would disagree with you, but other than that, <laughs> my my 50s are going to feel a lot better than my entire 40s. I was crogging. Oh, really? Yeah. What changed? I was ex- I, like my body was failed <laughs> in for almost my entire 40s. Oh, fuck. Well, we're living a pretty similar life. I was super injured and in, in a lot of pain, actually. Yeah. What happened? So, just hard living, you know, hitting the ground for bouldering and and uh, imbalance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel quite good now. Holy I shit! Practice we- yoga most of the days and try to try to um, stay fit and flexible. Yeah, flexibility is so important. Oh man, I need to roll work. out the muscles. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I get the pain part, but the, but otherwise, um, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm glad you know. I'm, if I can set a good example for you and my son and you know, other, other people to like, you know, I have, I have mentors that are five, 10, 15, 20 years older than me that set that, you know, blaze trail and, and they're just, they're still charging, you know, they're still skiing and they're still, you know, climbing hard. And mm-hmm. I mean, Merrill Bitters, I just talked to him the other day, he's like 67 years old. And I mean, he's just psyched to go climbing. Oh, skiing that's great. That shit. So who would you say, all, who would you say in your life was the most important mentor that you've ever had, whether it be creatively speaking or climbing, who's, who's had that impact on your life? Well, for sure, I have to give my parents the most credit, honestly. And that's not just, that's not, that's not the easy answer. It's the truth. Yeah. But, you know, I would have to, I would have to put equal importance on my mentor at Black Diamond, Mariah, Mariah Craner. Um, my one of my first climbing mentors, Bill Boyle, and like one of my like my one of my best friends, Mike Call. I mean, those mm-hmm. guys have all had tremendous amounts of influence on me and my and in my in my life. You know. Yeah. I want to talk about another thing too. We won't keep you too much longer, but so you've done uh, obviously so many things. You got grasshopper, uh, cutting edge climber, developer. You, design shoes for Fila for God's sake. You've been a creative marketer and we're going to talk about that yeah. too. But um, from the outside looking in at your story, especially for a guy my age who kind of saw it, a lot of your arc as just a person. Um, we're, it's easy for a guy like me to be like, oh man, that guy is just successful at everything he does. He never seems to have any doubt. Everything's always going smoothly. Can you talk about... Ha- some moments of doubt or like worrying about the path of your life that you've ever had, or is that something that you've not really grappled with? Um, I just think I compartmentalize it. Honestly, I think, I think I can see it's funny because my my mom is like the most incredible optimist nonstop looking at like, I mean, she'll see beauty in everything. And I think I got some of that from her. Um, and my, 
my parents, my, my parent, my, my home life as a kid, it was really, really stable. And so, um, you know, just I see the silver lining in almost everything. And it's weird because I get that it doesn't, that's not natural for a lot of people. Yeah. Especially people who listen to Fugazi. <laughs> you know, I, I'm a, I'm like a dark, I, it's funny because like, I love David Lynch films and I love dark music and I like dark art and all of that stuff. But like, I'm just a dark tourist. I'm like super optimistic and upbeat most of the time. Honestly, I'm pretty, pretty happy go lucky in, in that way. Obviously intense. Everyone knows that, but, um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I, and I can, I can throw a temper tantrum like the best of them, but generally I'm just generally like really content and happy. I, I've seen studies, um, to kind of dovetail with that of people who listen to punk rock. And of course people who don't listen to punk rock hear it and it like wells up as anger in them and it, it makes them aggravated. Right. But people who enjoy punk rock, it fires dopamine receptors and brings such happiness to them. Yeah. And I think that's kind of similar to what you're talking about. Like seeing the silver lining and things, you just yeah. very strange. Okay. Yeah, wait I know it, it's funny because it's like, it's like that energy of just like unbridled energy of youth, you know, especially when you're talking about something like Fugazi and minor threat. It's just like, um, I see that in my son. He's 18. He's in New York, like learning to live on his own. And it's like the whole world is like, I mean, he's going to be pissed off about some stuff, but like, I think generally he's, he's smiling on the inside, you know, like yeah. he's going to, he's going to be generally like, generally optimistic about things because he just he just has and he is yeah did having does having a son who obviously you're close with and you get to be a mentor to and he's into you know snowboarding and many of the things that you are do you feel like that's kept you young as well yeah i mean i think it's I, i think more than young it's kept me uh grounded and and kind of kept me on a on a true north for sure it, it makes me you know I, I realize that i've got to be accountable for everything i do and say and be and am in the world and it kind of makes kind of ups the ante for that right yeah it's a hell of an anger Can't fuck it up too bad <laughs> <laughs> all right Are i mean you- i i think it's funny because you know like do i have moments of doubt yeah i mean yes. who doesn't <clears throat> And like, oh man, I'm like in over my head again. Like, why did I do this? And it's like, well, I do this because I've always come out of it. And I have this, like, I figure out a way through it. And so maybe, maybe because I've been lucky and I figured out a way through it, you know, totally, you know, taking a sledgehammer to my, to my life and reinventing myself again is just not that big of a deal. (laughs) You know, and the thing is, is like, yeah. you know, you know, uh, sadly, you know, my, my friend, my friend, Miguel Riera, the, the deep water solo guy, Seco block dude, he died today. Oh my God. And uh, he died that. of lung cancer. And it, and we, when we were over there in Mallorca, like 
three weeks ago, he was in four weeks ago. He was in, he'd just gotten admitted to the hospital with some like misto thing. And by, you know, over the course of the, the few weeks that we were there, it got worse and worse. And, and this cancer, I guess it just metastasized throughout his body and he died today. Chris told me. Oh my God. Boone, sorry to brutal. hear that. It's brutal. And so the thing is, is like, I guess one of the things, and, and I, you know, I mean, it's easier said than done, I guess, but at the, you know, I've already had a pretty good life already. And at the end of it, I'm going to die anyway. We all do. And so not to be morose, but it's like, for me, it gives me power that, um, fuck it, you know, do it, <laughs> just go out and do it and make the best of it. And the worst thing that happens and what's in the inevitability is that you die anyway. So <laughs> what difference does it make? Yeah. <laughs> what's the worst thing that can happen? It's like, you're going to die. And it's like, yeah, but I'm going to die anyway. So, mm-hmm. I, <laughs> or you fucking fail, you know, that's the worst thing that can happen outside of dying. Right. And who, who cares? Try again. Yeah. We've all failed. Yeah. We'll all, we, you'll fail and Feedy will fail and I'll fail <laughs> countless times in our lives. Yeah. Just fucking keep pushing forward. Yep. Man. Yep. I make bogeys every single day. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. You're a golfer, eh? I am. Yeah. yeah. My dad I was a, my dad I'm was an amazingly a... bad golfer for how much I like it. <laughs> yeah, right on. It's like definitely my worst thing. <laughs> I know, but that one good shot fucking keeps coming you back like a yeah, tor- keep, it's like a yeah. torture device yeah i love golf i've been playing a bunch with sam elias and, and mc we play a lot oh nice that's great man my dad was a uh golf uh course manager for like most of my life so i grew up on <clears throat> grew up on a golf course and it's very rare you meet climbers who also golf <laughs> very rare indeed yeah interesting i mean i i love it i think i you know i I do like three things, like four things. I ski, I surf, I golf, and I, and I, and I climb. And it's like, those are my, you know, I, those are, and it's funny because people are like, you golf. And I'm like, yeah, like the spirit of golf is like the same as like yeah. climbing in a way, you know, it's like, I don't go to country clubs. I go out and play the muni courses and, you know, I, I really enjoy the game. Yeah. Me too, man. Me too. Are we going to ask? So I got I want to ask you a, a, a funny question. Um, so okay. a few months ago, Joe Kinder posted a photo of some Fila prototype climbing shoes. And I was just That's curious funny. what the, what, yeah, these guys, can you see them? That's not the best. But, oh yeah. 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 <laughs> so I was yeah. just wondering what's the, what's the story with those? Like why? So these, that's funny. So a, a good friend of mine was working at Nike and um, he designed a bunch of the iconic shoes from Nike. And um, he got hired away from Nike and went to Fila and was uh, hired by Fila. And they had his outdoor program. And um, that drawing is by Steve McDonald. That's the, that's, that's the guy's name. Uh-huh. He's the designer. And Steve brought me along um, to, you know, do the sort of the, development and the wear testing and 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 like the fine tuning of that of, of what that looked like you know he drew the he drew the picture yeah. of it and had the concept 
Um, but yeah, that that we built those shoes. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Whatever happened to that? I so I remember watching Rampage, the old climbing video, and it's yeah, yeah. either Sharma or Obi in a fila like sweatshirt, and they're for like a year. Those guys were wearing Fila, and I was like, what the fuck is going on over at Fila? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I I I you know I, I was working for Fila and I gave Obi and Chris some of that stuff to wear. And you know, it was I mean it was we were we were excited. We, it it seemed like it seemed like the 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 president the owner of Fila was like it was like their Phil Knight and he was just an, he was an avid climber and he just wanted oh. to be like relevant in the climbing space and there was a bunch of Fila stuff you know like you could you know Fila Fila stuff was seen on the street but like there was that moment where I mean it was the same thing as as um, as with pusher, it was just, it was like going to the city somehow or, or having like a little bit of a urban flair somehow. Yeah. Wow. And That's it was, crazy. you know, and it was like, I think it was pretty in a way, like, I think it was genuine, but like looking back on it, that was maybe <laughs> a bogey. <laughs> Who knows, man? Double bogey. I mean, <laughs> no, the, the thing is, is that opened up, you know, that 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 job, the feeling of the job changed my life. And it gave me insight into a bigger, bigger companies, bigger operations and how things work internationally. And so um, I'll forever be grateful to Fila, the people that I met there, the networking that happened. Um, it was a it was a special moment in time. I, I don't know. Now, if my the thing that I question is my uh, intrigue with Fila, and I'm, and I'm just thinking about it as we're talking, I'm, that was probably the double bogey. But um, <laughs> I still wear Nike stuff, and I still wear Adidas shoes, and you know, I still wear mainstream stuff yeah, wow. on the street. Um, of, yeah, I was going to say uh, one of my favorite. Uh, lines of yours which you have a bunch of really good lines from all those climbing films we mentioned earlier was I think from King Lines where you're talking about the first time or where you, kind of the first time you met Chris Sharma I think where you're underneath Necessary Evil and he essentially <laughs> took his like sweater off in the middle of it <laughs> I don't know I just kind of want to talk about what that feeling was like because you mentioned at that moment you're like I that's when I knew I needed another job but <laughs> But it was kind of that's that's really the truth. I mean, it was kind of like so so and this will this will surprise a lot of people and or this will, you know, sound surprising. I mean, climbing climbing in a way was a detour. I went I went to school to be, you know, I went to graphic design school. That's that was what was cool in the eighties, and that was what I was gonna do. And I and I think and I was and I was really interested in art and creativity as a career and, and that, that whole thing. And then I got into climbing and I mean, you don't, you don't look a gift, you don't look a gift horse in the mouth. You know, it was like, it was like, it was the keys to the kingdom for me. 
and it and it opened my life to so many good opportunities. But at some point, it was funny because then this is going to sound totally dickish and and like really bad, but I'll stand by what I'm saying here because the because of because because I mean it, and that is that it's it's tough being it's tough alone that the, the you know at the cutting edge of a sport it's tough mm-hmm. to just keep doing it alone and there was you know and, and I had plenty of peers that pushed us along but like we were we were coming up onto a onto our personal best wall for sure all of us yeah and it was it was in a way a like a relief to have somebody come in and just <laughs> fucking decisively say it's, it's a whole new era like yeah pressure's off you guys and i and i felt pressure i can tell you that yeah the the truth is i felt a lot of pressure and i and it was fine no complaints here but when but i knew my own shortcomings and i knew i was just like fuck like <laughs> like I'm, you know, like I'm so weak and I'm so like this and I'm not like, why can't anyone do this shit? And it's like, this is, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm getting worn out. And like when Chris came along, it was kind of like right on, you know, like now I can do, now I can get on to the next thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And, and honestly, I was, uh, look, all things being the same, I'd rather be at the top of the sport forever, but but realistically, looking at it, 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 Chris came along at the very best time in my life. And it was, you know, kind of set me free to go do other things. And yeah. I had a great life in parallel with Chris's in yeah. a lot of ways. You know, like we're really good friends and we travel a lot together and, and do cool shit all the yeah. time. You know, and I can and I can my creative career to me and all this stuff and my entrepreneurial career is the same as being creative. Like all oh, this yeah. stuff is just that's as important to me as the climbing. Where and was the development is another creative aspect. Yeah. That is to climbing that's like more of my legacy than like doing a first ascent of some route, you know, like it's it's more it, it means a lot more to me than that than 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 a first ascent of a route someplace, mm-hmm. you know. Fuck the yeah. development and the like what I gave I guess what I gave to the sport in a way. Yeah. Where do you, where was the, cause it sounds suffocating. Where was that pressure coming from? Oh, it's, it wasn't, I mean, it was, it's a good problem to have. Honestly, yeah. it's not suffocating. Like, you know, I consider all my problems to be pretty good problems. Um, and like, it was just from, it was like, you know, like I had, projects bolted all over the place you know i'd done i was credited with doing the first you know like consensus 14b route in america or Mm -hmm. the first american to climb that grade or whatever and you know and i was looking at 14c and i had my sights kind of set on a few of these routes necessary evil being one of them the big smile being one of them um ice cream i guess Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like, and when, when, when Chris did that, I mean, Chris was so much better. And, and then, you know, three months after doing Necessary Evil, he comes to Salt Lake 
He's staying with me and he does the big smile in one day. <laughs> if you've ever been on the big smile or ask anyone who's ever been on the big smile, that is still fucking absurd. Yeah. Like it's, it's a really, really hard route. Um, and, um, I just, my good friend just did it the other day and it's, it's like, you know, it's just, I mean, when somebody's like decisively better then like I said, I can go back. I don't have to spend, I can take that extra 20 or 30 hours a week that I'm using to train and mm -hmm. like think about doing 14 C and do something more interesting with my life, honestly. Yeah. It seemed like the time I, mean, I already did a first. I don't need two firsts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, you were at the peak of the sport at a certain time and that's, I, it's all relative. <laughs> yeah. One, two first just gets confusing. One first is like a bonus. Yeah. You know? Then you like, just start great. getting cocky, man. I went second, yeah. first, third, first. Well, speaking yeah. of cocky, one, one thing like the grace with which you, you pass the torch, and you fucking, pa it sounds like you passed it quick. You're like, ooh, this thing's hot. Take it. <laughs> yeah. It, it well, seems no like, <laughs> it seems like Chris has taken a lesson from that book as well, even though he's nowhere near passing the torch just yet. But he's constantly talking about um, how this next generation is, you know, guys like Adam Andra and Magos are just lapping it. And he's just so yeah. graceful about it. It's amazing. It's similar graceful. to yours. Yeah, he is graceful, and he, now he's got, you know, two young children and um, and a couple of businesses, and it's like, I think, I think, you know, I think he still wants to be as good as he possibly can be. We all do. Yeah. But I also think he's super graceful about like the next generation. I mean, Chris has been at the top for a really long time, yeah. and it, it is like I think he's psyched to. I think those guys actually light a fire under him. In a way, you know, like to, <laughs> you know, to to keep him going. Um, but I think that he's been genuinely super grateful and graceful. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, yeah. Let, let, sorry, was up? Go ahead. I was gonna say no. the La Dura Dura Real Rock was like one of the my favorites. Just seeing you know Chris and Adam working on that route together, and that was kind of the moment. Yeah, that was a pretty pretty cool <laughs> yeah yeah it was super cool and it was super cool i did want to say it seems it seems like the timing was great too with that whole transition because that's when you also were like hey maybe i want to do photography and that you have one of the most interesting subjects in the sport <laughs> to yeah to, to travel with and yeah no shit you had quite a crew there Dude. for a number of years obi chris nate gold never forget nate gold <laughs> Steven Jeffries and Joe's, you know, what a, what a crew of like, I still hang with Steven and, and Jared and Sharma. And I communicate quite often with, with, uh, Nate and Obi's opening up a new gym yeah. In, yeah. in New Jersey. Uh, Jason Kale, like it's a fun, you know, I still, still, you know, hang with those guys a lot. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. That's good to hear. Good people. Um, we, I mean, would, you would say that's the greatest gift the climbing's ever given you as a friendships. 100%. Yeah. Location, you know, all the travel and all the friendships. By far, that's the most, that's the, that's the best, biggest and best takeaway for sure. Yeah, me too. You got any more? I mean, we've kept you for an hour and a half, man. Yeah. Um, you've been super great. People are going to get bored. 
<laughs> no, they won't. No. no, they won't. They'll get bored when we do the outro. <laughs> That's when they turn it off. <laughs> I fucking guarantee you that. Uh, Boone, thanks so much, man. That was uh, uh, just, we'll just cut this out of the podcast, but that was a huge treat for me. I've been looking up to your climbing career for 20 years now. So I, I appreciate really that. appreciate you coming on. Yeah. It was awesome. No, I really to have appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Well, I mean, come fun. on. I love. I, I mentioned earlier that Boone is somebody who just is great at coming out like just he just just emits good lines i don't know how to <laughs> yes. i don't know how to say that but he just he's he's a machine of he's a natural speaker man yeah very good speaker and it was super nice to just be like here is here is like a somewhat premise and then he just would have like a great overarching like narrative about pusher and oh man you know a guy like boone makes our job easy fucking ridiculously yeah. easy because there were stretches where we don't speak for like seven minutes yeah. and, but both of us were just like well, jaws open drooling and, on ourselves and i feel like you could probably agree with this that's kind of the goal is like we want the guest to be properly conveyed to the audience like we want the audience to get a sense of this person and, damn tootin and uh having someone like boone just kind of take the the reins away it was super fun fucking a man yeah. and what? plus it's good for us like it's fun for us to be like oh, oh my god oh, there's legends oh. talking to these two dipshits i mean when we had paul come on p rob p rob uh i mean like that's one of the per the, the awesome perks of coming and doing this podcast is like i've gotten the opportunity to interact with icons of the sport and hopefully you guys like get to hear a little bit like when he when uh boone said it was a relief when sharma came along and this was like i'll fucking take that torch thank you yes. very much um to hear him say fuck? that you're just like wow that's like a climber at the the top tier Seriously. getting to know what they're thinking at that exact moment like how quickly the torch passes in yeah. this fucking game in climbing where just some phenom will rise out of nowhere and Dude. just be like, this is how it's done now. I loved it. Yeah, it was oh, it was fun. So um, excited. And Boone was, I think we we mentioned this in the intro, but the fact that he accepted the cold call from us and <laughs> yeah, like gave us nice. time, so cool. Uh, and actually, it, it kind of relates to what he was saying in the episode, how like when they called that the record company and the, oh, the guy, Ian McKay Ian, Ian McKay was like yeah you guys can use it but dude like, I as a matter of fact we haven't talked about this but when he started talking about like Fugazi is one of my favorite bands of yeah. all time and it was a real seminal band for me in the 90s like huge influenced yeah. everything I know about music and life and DIY mm -hmm. that was fucking awesome and to know that Mike called just cold called Ian McKay he's like hey this is Ian you want some free music Mike call on here yeah, that's true. But <sighs> we, we must revel in the climber with unarguably the greatest name in the history of climbing. <laughs> who just speed. That's like literally, uh, that's like going into a bar and be like, yo, what's your name? And you're like, fucking Han Solo. They're like, oh. <laughs> you can come Dude, in for free, biggest, sir. Yeah, I've, I've, I've regretted not bringing up the fact that uh, his dad is called... Ulysses, Ulysses Grant, Grant Speed. Speed. So Ulysses Speed, which is arguably 
better. Better. Like in a Boone's weird. Who's living in a shadow? Think about, think about like, damn Ulysses. Ulysses. I can't even say it. That's how hard it is. Dude, you know what my dad's name is? Probably like John. Fucking Dave. That's the <laughs> worst. That's the worst where mama spits out little baby uh, McAllister and they're like, fuck, I can't really think of a name. My dad was like, eh, I got a pretty good name. Let's just call him Dave. That is an interesting conversation. It's just terrible. Because it's like, your mom was like, yeah, sure, why not? I, if I was my mom, I would have been like, like you conceited fuck? bastard. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> what gives you the right to name this? And I'm, He's going to be called Carol. Yes. I don't know what your mom's no. name is. No, my mom's name was Alice. Is Alice. Alice. Is Alice. Not was. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. She's going to body slam me when she hears this. <laughs> oh, I'm 72. It could throw me off a fucking 15-story. Dude, you could be... Your middle name should be Alice. David, David Alice McAllister. Oh, shit. That's, that's actually... Weird. That's like Oedipal and weird. Damn. That's your acronym. Damn. Damn. That's true. All right. <laughs> this motherfucking train's gone off the rails. Uh, so let's... Uh, thank you, Boone, so, so, so much. Uh, you have been a huge inspiration in my life, and I'm sure to many of our listeners, I hope you guys enjoyed that. We're going to wrap it up. Let's yes. take care of some fucking housekeeping. Correct. So you can find us on The, the Thunder, Thunder King. God damn it. <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> on Instagram, right? Every time that happens, Feedy is staring at me with his eyes open. It's one of those things. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing because it's one of those things that you would think smarter people would have fixed by now. Kind of our job. It's kind of our job. But yeah. we're dumb boys. Check yeah, out, we're not smart. We're not smart at um, all. No, 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 no. Don't be mistaken. This We, we have secret handlers who help us through all of this. Yes, yes. That we pay a mighty sum. A mighty sum that we yes. don't have. Um, High school interns. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the Thundercling on Instagram. Yes, check that out. That is where... The video will be. Well, how else can they get a hold of us? Uh, and also shoot us an email at thundercling at thundercling podcast. Oh my gmail.com. Thundercling podcast at gmail. I'm not the one who named these things two different I know. things. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> thundercling. So uh, if you guys like the video or have any feedback about Boone or you have a guest you'd like to come on or you have a story you'd yeah. like to tell, like the next guest that we have Holy shit. is not a famous climber. But he's going to have a very interesting story to tell yes. and uh, a life-changing and altering story to tell. We're real excited about that. Super excited. So if you guys have any thoughts or ideas or criticisms or comments, get a hold of us at one of those two places. Mm -hmm. And if you have the time, and I fucking know you do, don't tell me you don't. Oh, uh, uh, I'm sorry I'm staring at yeah, you so hard oh my for God. that. <laughs> I got scared. Uh, if you have the time and the inclination, uh, drop us a rating and review on iTunes. Um. In a cloudy way, I believe it helps us somehow. Yeah. But there's, but there's I also a have an inkling that, that it doesn't, doesn't help, help us, us at all. Honestly, why not? Yeah, but why not? But why not? Honestly, but mainly if you do listen to the song, see the music video, on feedback. Oh, give us feedback. Would be really helpful. If uh, you guys like it, there are more to come. Because we are psyched on this. I think it came out better than we both expected. Slash. It took me as long as an infant takes to talk to do this godforsaken project. <laughs> yes. So if you guys give us feedback and you want more of them, we'll get back to the drawing table. Mm -hmm. If not, I will hang up the, my crayons and I'll stop sniffing the glue and eating yeah, my Elmer's yeah, and all be, that crap. I've been trying to get you to stop. It's, I not, it's so not good for you. tasty. Like when you put the glue on your I mean, skin and yeah, it looks Dave, like your fingerprint. You eat it. Anyways, yeah, that's it. Well, Feedy, 
enjoy Greece. It, uh, I'm not exactly, it might be a little bit past two weeks when our next episode comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it might not too. We're recording it tomorrow, right before Feedy. You're going there by boat, right? Right before Feedy gets on the boat to go to uh, Greece, where Greece. they find your lucky charm. Wow. Dave. I got to stop that. Yes. I'm sorry. I apologize to our Irish listeners. Oh, wait, Grecian. I meant Gre- Grecian, Grecian listeners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, apolo- I actually apologize to all of our listeners. I think so. Me too. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry I don't too, know. guys. Dave poured some whiskey and it we is drinking whiskey right now. in right now, dude. Whoopsie daisy. Let's party. Thank you guys so much for listening, for the continued support. I hope you love the video. And once again, Boon Speed, you're a fucking, fucking legend. legend. Also, he, he said my name a few times. That was really cool. He didn't say mine. Yeah, he didn't. But he was like, Feedy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, get jealous. That's enough. <laughs> This, I'm going to fuck this up. This goes out to all my homies. All right. This um, goes out to all my dead homies. Uh, this is uh, this is way slower than I wrote it, but fuck it. It's too hard. Dave, this is the first song Dave hasn't been able to do. I can't do it. It's just an innocent boy. My butt in gym, living my best life with acne skin, basketball and Xbox, studying by desk light, finding a sexy date for my uh, prom night. Truth and the rub of it crashing down on me. I was just a boring kid, ordinary, but then I found climbing through my scout troop, and I raced my life before. Climbing was my truth All I want to do is climb I don't want to spend my time With my friends and my family They can fuck off and die Broke the news to my girlfriend Over a dinner of beans I'm moving to Colorado To climb 514 Relocated to Denver Got a job at REI 13 bucks an hour and I barely had to try Nights at the gym, days at the crag Work is a bummer and adulting is a drag My girlfriend, she dumped me after the move She's just jealous that my bowler is so fucking smooth I don't need love, what I need, waste at the chains Already 512 strong, my plans are working great All I want to do is climb I don't want to spend my time With my friends and my family They can fuck up and die So my girlfriend dumped me Went from strong to lean She'll be so sad when she learns I climbed 514 Flash forward, time machine Ten more years have passed Still climb every day Never Never 
got canned from Orion. Now I work at a gym. Paycheck is smaller, social currency is big. Haven't quite reached that 514 pitch. Turns out 512D, well, it's a motherfucking bitch. Now I tell people I try to climb even though I don't. But I look the part when I rip apart my Patagonia coat. All I want to do is climb. I don't want to spend my time with my friends and my family. They can fuck up and die. Health insurance has lapsed. Tendons have all snapped. I'm still that boy with the dream to climb 514. Still young, fuck off, I'm not that worried I've climbed from the highest crag to the lowest quarry I now live on the road, no, no, not in a sprinter It's a burnt Sienna, 1984 Pinto 401k, what's that? Pay the bills, who cares? I'm traveling the country, living no frills One of these days I'll find the perfect route and 514 will sprinkle rain on this epic drought. All I want to do is climb. I don't want to spend my time with my friends and my family. They can fuck up and die. Takes longer to recover. I'm injured constantly. But like a Greek hero, 514's my odyssey. Does it exist, my soft sport clients? 514 is a white whale, I'm adrift at sea. It splashes in the distance, why am I so fucking weak? They say, Dick, maybe it's time to hang the rope up and quit. quit. Say, oh my God, you're embarrassing yourself with this shit. Maybe they're right. I don't think so, at least for tonight. Still got my golden years to wrap this dream up tight. Wrap up the pinto and go. 76 years old, almost in my pride on a V zero problem in my nephew's garage. Regale the kids with stories of slaying rigs so stiff. The kids chuckle softly, light up a spliff. Well, hey, you little fuckers, a raging to the night. One day you too will see the benefit of telling lies when you've chased. The number, a mirage, a marker, a sliding fucking scale, an effective disorder. All I want to do is climb. I don't want to win my time with my friends and my family. They can fuck up and die. Never routine my social currency. I can die happy knowing I sent those two 512 D.
it's pretty hard, honestly. Dave threw a wobbler on the song. I just dropped the big stinky shit, but we don't have time to record another song, so 